This is Life of an Architect, a podcast dedicated to all things architecture, with a little bit of life thrown in for balance. Red lines is a word used in an architectural office to reference the red ink that typically is used to mark up corrections that need to be made on architectural drawings. Is this phrase outdated? Do people even use red anymore? Does the experience send some into some form of post-traumatic stress disorder? This and other things are what we're going to be talking about today in episode 78, Red Lines. Today's episode is generously brought to you with support from Peterson, maker of pack-clad architectural metal cladding. Welcome to the Life of an Architect podcast. I'm Bob Borson. And I'm Andrew Hawkins. And today we're going to be talking about red lines, what they are, the role they play, do people even still use them or create them, are they of value, who finds them of value, and we'll probably throw in some anecdotal stories and tales from our own experience along the way of what is probably close to 60 years of architectural experience. Combined years. Yes. Yeah, yeah not total. Not for me. <laughs> <laughs> Combined. Okay, so let's do this. First off, I guess not everybody knows what a red line is because we have people who aren't necessarily architects that are listening to the show. So red lines in the most simplest way is when an architect takes a red pen, marks on a drawing, uh, any type of editorial comments on that set of drawings for the purpose of communicating errors and omissions, modifications they want to see made to the drawings. And I think one of the things that's important when defining what a red line is or what its role is or how it's used is that this is a one-sided graphic conversation between an architect or at least a senior staff member and typically a younger and less experienced staff member. All right. Is that a reasonable definition of what a red line is? I feel like that's a pretty good definition. I will say I was doing a little research today. Oh, this does not need to be confused with. The act of redlining, which is a yes, a geographic and mapping thing that here lately has been identified as a part of architectural practice, like redlining geographic regions within cities, the disproportionate services and all those kinds of things. That's not what we're talking about. We're actually talking red ink on paper. Yes. We're keeping it a little simpler than yeah. geopolitical <laughs> stuff. I don't know. Gerrymandering or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Yes. The one part of that definition that I'm not convinced is right, and it's not that it's wrong, it's because there's an aspect of this conversation that I've saved for later, and it has to do with the one-sided graphic conversation, because essentially this is something that, I don't know, people maybe of our generation or our cut of cloth or our experience level, they will take a printout of a drawing and they will take a red pen. And they will mark on it and they will then hand it to somebody and say, here's all the comments I made. And it might be like, we need to detail through here. This is how this works. Here's a profile. This is put a dimension on string in this location. There's lots of things you can do. And I know that there's software out there that we're using. I have that written down and we're going to talk about it later. But this really has to do with the origin of the word, which predates software like Adobe, Acrobat, and Bluebeam. Okay. Yep. We're not getting into that right now. So everybody settle down. Right. Because yeah, it will come up though. Yeah. So let's just start with the very beginning, because I've written a couple of blog posts on my site over the last 10 years, two specifically that had to do with red lines. One of them was really funny, which was a great story, but I'm going to save part of that for a minute. But it had to do with red is easy to see. That's why we use red. Some people are like, well, why don't you use green? It's less aggressive. <laughs> it's like, you know, all right. So generally speaking, when we print out drawing nowadays, no one's doing blueprints. Hopefully nobody's doing blueprints. So it all gets printed out like a giant Xerox on an overscale piece of bond paper. So it's white paper with generally speaking, black ink on it. Black lines, yeah. So red, the act of using a red pen to mark up things you want people to notice is more successful when they actually can see it well. Like I wouldn't want to mark up my black line drawings with a black pen because it might actually look like what was printed out because that's how good I sketch. <laughs> Right. Like a computer. Yeah, yeah, like a computer. So that's why they're red in my book. Could you use green? Yeah, I guess you could. I mean, in fact, I have, I've used green. I've used blue. I like the red simply because it pops off the page. It's the short and simple of it. Yeah. Yeah. This may be getting ahead of the conversation, but for a while, I used different colors for different things, actually. 
So a red pin would mean this, a blue pin would mean that. and Like what? Like Tell me. Explain that. It didn't last very long because it was too cumbersome, so I just changed the way I annotated things with a red pin. But if it was a red mark, it was something that was supposed to be changed on the sheet. But if it was a blue pin, it was more of a note about looking at this or doing something. A green pin, it was something for them to talk to me about so that I could explain it. So mm. it was a way to delineate what was happening. So sure. if it was red, that was exactly what needed to show up in the drawing. Like it needed to be that. It was, yeah. blue. It was a, me making a comment about something that they needed to fix. It was a way to, I guess, maybe add a layer of instruction to that process. Yeah, I like it. I like that as a concept, quite honestly. And I want to dive into that more, but I want to dive into that when we actually talk about how people go about doing it in the episode. All right, sounds good. So if I start thinking about how project sets get developed, the first thing that was on my list of, hey, let's talk about this, had to do with the very on-point topic, which was redlining during the design process. Because a lot of people think redlines is simply an act you do during construction. So it's like, I'm doing documentation and fix this because this information is going to be compiled and sent out to somebody for the purposes of, I don't know, permitting or construction or pricing or fab. Yeah. It's kind of a process that happens during the construction document phase. Typically, that's how people think of it. The way that I work, the way Bob Borson rolls is that I redline from day one. I design in red pen a lot of times when I'm collaborating with somebody because I have the same objective. They still will print something out and I'll go, hey, we need to do this. But because I treat my role as designer in my office now and before as a professorial type of position, I don't ever tell people do this and I just give it to them and they go walking off and they just do what I told them to do. I ask a lot of questions. I say, did you think about this? I explain why something works the way that it works so that we don't have to have the same conversation in a month when the next project comes along, we have a similar condition. So they're very communicative and they're not directing somebody to put this particular line in this particular place and put this particular note and point to this particular spot. That's not necessarily how I do my red lines. So this wasn't that long ago, actually. And it was with former podcast co-host Landon Williams in my last office. That's short timer. (laughs) that guy so Landon was pretty young you know maybe a year and a half out of school at this point he's probably like why do you got to tell him this story like why you could use my name (laughs) so we were working on a project in San Marcos and there was this one elevation that was drawn and he's sitting right next to me and we're kind of redlining the set together the way I look at it go this whole moment is a teachable learnable kind of process it's not just me going into my ivory tower marking it up and throwing it out the window to the serfs in the field below to fix in the computer because I don't know how to do it. That's not how this is supposed to work. So he's sitting right next to me, and I write, wow, dot, 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 terrible. And I took a picture of it, and I posted it to social media. I was like, it's that kind of day. (laughs) Every single person who saw that responded so aggressively like, wow, that is rude, and why don't you take this moment to teach somebody what they're supposed to be doing? Yeah, you're the worst. (laughs) It's people like you that make being an architect when you're right out of school suck. Too funny. Not one person took it in the sense that, hey, this was a design comment. Like this elevation is terrible. Not the way that it was drawn. The way it was drawn was technically exactly what we put in the plan. But I was like, okay, now it's time to do more. This is terrible. We got to make this better. Not you screwed this up. What your work is embodied on this page is garbage. Right. And so I always found it incredibly amusing that out of all the people that saw it and all the comments that I got, not one person considered that this was a collaborative comment and that specific comment was directed towards the design and not the human being that drew it. Yeah. And and actually that means like, therefore, towards both of you, we did a terrible job on this. We need to fix it. Yeah. And so I thought, does nobody use these redlining moments during the design phase to collaborate? I mean, because again, still white paper, still black ink on it. I still want it to pop. I still want it to be like a record of what we're talking about. That's when I got comments like, well, maybe you could use green. It's less aggressive. (laughs) Yeah, that makes me laugh. It's the power tie of pens, apparently. But when I was doing that research today, looking around, there was a lot of complaining about red lines being this archaic one-way street of not being moments for teaching. And I could see that, I guess, in some firms, but... I'm not a person that subscribes to that idea. It's because to me, they are about teaching you how to do better so that in reality, I don't have to redline the same thing in the next project or the project after that because you'll understand and fix it 
Yeah. It won't happen again if I teach you correctly. Well, people make fun of me for this. I get made fun of a lot, everybody. I don't know if you guys know this, but. (laughs) (laughs) You take it that way, I'm sure. No, it's kind of like they're like, I will sketch out an elevation on top of another elevation. And people are like, why don't you just put that straight into the system? Why are you adding a step? And I go, because I didn't know this was the solution when I started it. This was the design process. There might have been 10 iterations. I'm not showing you all 10. You don't know my business. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? And that's part of the social media world we live in. Like the way things are interpreted is everyone's got it all. They have all the information they could possibly need to make an evaluation. And while this is not really supposed to be a conversation about the herd stupidity of social media, just like everyone thinks they know everything and they don't. And I don't always do a very good job of explaining what it is we're talking about. But I'm surprised that more people don't use redlines the process as a two people sitting down with one another and talking through a set of drawings and saying, this is why we would do this. This is why we would need to do that so that it can be internalized and regurgitated later without me having to go through the process over and over again. Did you ever use redlines during the design phase in your office? I mean, maybe I'm unique. Maybe nobody does. Always, always use redlines. I don't know from day one. Usually it would be from day two. We have to get some work done on day one. I work too fast for that. And then day two, I would start redlining. But I always use redlines. And actually, in my office, I would use it as a way to document the progress as well, right? To make sure that we would catch things or we would do things and as a record. This is what got changed. We produced something else, and this is what got changed. Yeah. And you just got to go through that process and cycle. In design, we'd redline stuff for sure in meetings with clients. We'd sit there, we'd have a set of documents or drawings and They'd be talking and we'd redline them while they were talking about things. So that is a documentation process as well. It's all just part of the process to me. Did you keep your redlines for posterity? Like, or is it if you redlined it and you handed it off to somebody and then they said, I picked them all up, did it just go in the trash and that was the end of it? No, you said we'd keep them till the end of the project. Interesting. Or at least till the end of the design phase. And then at that point that I'll get scanned in, I'd have digital copies of them. Because I did most of my redlining, I would do it 11 by 17, never at, at full size. Yeah. To that idea about that was that most of the time I would redline at home in the evenings mm-hmm. and then bring back the set of redlines. I, mean, I guess it depends where it was at in the design phase, but usually that. And then we'd, I'd sit down and go over those redlines with yeah. my employee or employees and say, no, this is what it means. This is what I meant. That was the teaching part. But the act of doing it, usually I had to deal with my own so I could not take 15 hours to do it. <laughs> Well, you know, part of the reason I was curious about the, did you keep them and did you record them for posterity was, you know, the first time I really was involved in an office that used red lines as a communicative way to have that one-sided graphic conversation was the place I worked at when I actually started this blog. It's a great firm. Love all those people. So despite what I'm about to tell you, I have high (laughs) opinions of all these folks. So one of the partners that worked there, he was a workaholic. I mean, this guy was a machine. If you could build an architect, that guy would be like 90% of what you would make. He was incredible. And he worked all the time. So I'm pretty sure he worked seven days a week. He was always the first one in the office. And that's even with me. And normally I would get there by like seven o'clock, maybe 7.15. He'd been there for an hour already. And I would leave at seven o'clock at night. And he'd still be there till like nine o'clock and he'd come in on the weekends. I mean, he worked all the time. It's really where I learned how to do residential projects. And so the whole idea of learning how to detail things as an act of design, I learned in that office. I owe a lot of who I am to those people. So, you know, I have a lot of respect for them. I have respect for their process. One of the things that I always couldn't understand is, so one of the things that this guy would do during the 800 hours a week that he worked is he would redline drawings for folks. And he would do it at night. Basically, the method was whatever they did that day, they would print it out, give it to him. They would go home. He would stay up there, redline all of them. I'm sure three or four pens worth of ink. I mean, it would be a lot. Mm -hmm. They would show up to work the next day and he'd say, here you go. Here's all the stuff. I want you to pick it up. And the truth is, is he had a bit of an attitude. Like he got mad. He had moments where I've never thought I was going to be punched in the office before, except by him once. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. He was so mad. He was like all up in my face. And he, he told me, he goes, walk away. <laughs> I go, if I don't, it's because he's going to hit me. Wow. Right. That's how we got in this one moment. 
And I think we would look back on it and go, that was unnecessary. I think we both would think that was unnecessary. But what I couldn't understand is people were scared of him. I mean, I get that <laughs> part like, of it. But... Sounds like I, I can completely <laughs> understand why. Yeah. Well, they were scared of making him angry. I don't think they were actually scared that he would punch them. I got that because either way, I stood up to him in this moment. Maybe I shouldn't have. It wasn't necessary. So what would happen is he would mark up all these red lines and he would give them to you. And what he wanted you to do was to pick up a comment and highlight it off. And then when it was done, essentially, he would want to check if with the new work, did it match the highlighted and red line work that he had produced and you had highlighted out? God help you if you highlighted something and didn't pick it up, right? Mm-hmm. And what happened in this process is everybody wanted to please him, right? Because he was a guy that demanded pleasing. And, you know, and a lot of people wanted to please him, right? He was that kind of guy. The problem is, and this is what I struggled with, there wasn't a lot of learning that went along with it. It was more like, do exactly what I'm showing you here to do. And the idea is that if you were clever, like you would understand what you're drawing and you would learn through the act of drafting and picking up his red lines. But there wasn't a lot of explanation that went along with it. Everything was on the page. So I saw many, many times where people were scared enough of him to where if he drew something on the page, they did it. And what you saw is that people stopped thinking about what they were doing because their only objective was pick up every single red line that he'd put on that page. So you had all these people that were really getting good at running the software and they weren't becoming better architects. And that was something I thought, I'll never do that because what could have been a fantastic teaching tool turned into literally one of the worst. Mm-hmm. You had an, a small group of people that were great at picking up red lines. I'm not sure they knew what they were picking up though. Yeah, but not thinking about what they were producing or learning about yeah. it. They might make the same mistakes over and over and over again. Yeah. Yeah. So when I think about the value of creating red lines and the value of picking them up is that you have to have this kind of mutually beneficial experience. I'm not marking these up for my own benefit. I mean, <laughs> yeah, right? Part of me is because I want a better project. I want happy clients. But the amount of effort I put into red lines is directly proportional to the amount of knowledge that I want you to glean from them mm-hmm. so that I don't have to mark up as much the next time. So it is a little self-serving because there's three things that are good for me that I just rattled off. All three of those things are good for me. But they're also good for the employee because they're like, I get exposure. Maybe something's being explained to me that I didn't understand. Or the connectivity between why we did something was articulated. But I will tell you right now, it's really hard to get that kind of value if there is no back and forth. So even before I got to the point where I was really explaining how to build a clock when you asked me what time it was, Mm -hmm. I still would go through the red lines with somebody. I never just hand people red lines and go, here you go. If you have questions, I'll make myself available. That never happens. I either give them to them. And we go through them together or we create them together at the same time. Because I go, right, mutually beneficial. We both got to get something out of this. Yeah. At least that's my opinion. I will say I agree with that philosophy and I tried to do that as best I could. At some point, I mean, I know I can't say that I never just handed people a stack of red lines and good, here, take care of this. Because part of that process was as my employees became more intelligent and better at what they were doing, the red line things that I were picking up were always trivial errors. And it wasn't like that I was having to explain something. It was that, well, this is in the wrong spot or that's in the wrong, those kind of like mm-hmm. things that they just didn't notice because they were blinded by having looked at it for 20 hours at a time. Right. I get that. And so at times, if it's like a 95% set, I'm catching all those little grammatical errors and all those sorts of things. So there's not a lot of explanation to it. That's why I think earlier on, I think it's more about teaching in the earlier parts of the project, even up to construction documents. But as it gets near the end, it starts to be more about, well, this just is not right, or these things are overlapping, and you're kind of nitpicking things. And it's not like it requires a huge amount of explanation. Right. But I always would err on the side of explaining to someone what it was. But at the same time, in a small office, you know, I mean, if somebody had a question, all they had to do was ask. Yeah. We were pretty much right next to each other, not that far away, right? Just spin your chair around. Yeah. Take four steps and ask me if you don't understand. You know, it's funny. I hadn't really thought of it that way. And this isn't true. I'm about to say something that I know is not true. (laughs) I know it. I'm telling you right now. Had to do with, I think a lot of times my role is as designer. And so I spend more time redlining things up front than I do at the back end. But that's not really true because I was in a small office and I had a team of me and one other person. So I redline details all the time as as well. Mm Mm-hmm. 
But the idea that the amount of redlining I do would change and would become less as the set evolved, which I guess really, when you logic it through, of course, it should be less as you go through it, unless you don't redline during design, right? But like checking going, oh, you misspelled shield, like you got your I's and E's reversed yeah. or, or you've got an old client name still in your general notes. Things like that, just that your brain fixes if you're the person that's generating the information that you just, yeah, look, I do that in blog posts all the time. Yeah. Because I write them and I hit publish. And normally I'm exhausted and I'm tired yeah. and it's late night. And you know, and I feel bad for myself sometimes because I work late nights. And then I'll see Andrew, you'll write a post and it'll be published at like 3.24 a.m. Yeah. But that's my own fault. But yeah. And I, but I look at it and I go, one, I go, typical Andrew. Right? <laughs> and then, <laughs> but I sit there and go, my brain will fix grammar errors. Look, I'll tell you people, I know the difference between theirs with an I and theirs with an E-R-E. Like, I understand that. Yeah. I understand the difference between it's with an apostrophe S and it's without a, I understand the difference. Yeah. But sometimes you're just cruising along and you make a mistake. And when you look at it, your brain just doesn't fix it. And then what happens when people don't know this, I publish something. Then I go back and I read it the next morning after it's been published. <laughs> and you go, oh, I got to fix it. I go back and I, I was like, I can fix all these things. Yeah. And the part I think is funny is every now and then, and I used to drive me bonkers. Somebody in the comment section go, oh, you misspelled. It's brake metal with a A-K-E, not E-A-K, right? Yeah. Dude, you could have just sent that to me privately because you know what's going to happen? <laughs> I'm going to go it. fix it. Yeah. And then your comment's going to go like, what are you looking at, dummy? Like, yeah. clearly, <laughs> then you look weird. Yeah. So I'm like, you know, fine, make peace with all that stuff. Anyway, that rabbit hole notwithstanding. <laughs> yeah. More from Life of an Architect in just a moment. Andrew and I are joined by Mike Weiss, who is the Southeast Regional Manager with Peterson, maker of pack-clad architectural metal cladding. Hi, Mike. How are you? Thanks for joining us today. Hey, thank you for having me. I'm doing well. Hope you are, too. Yeah, I think I'm doing good. Andrew, you checking it? Yeah, we're doing pretty good. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> so, Mike, where are you located? Where are we talking from? Today, I am here at our plant right outside of Atlanta, Georgia, in a little town called Ackworth. And we've been here for 20 plus years so far. Nice. And I know you've been with Peterson for like the last 22 years. So you're a pretty knowledgeable guy for us to be talking with today. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> we're off to a good start. So there's a lot of options for architects when it comes to working with Peterson and Pat Clad products, but I would like to focus in on wall panels today. I have a bunch of notes that I jotted down. Sure. Some of it's self-serving. One of the nice things that happens for me is when I'm working on projects and I get to speak with you, I can go, hey, I can ask questions about my own projects during these phone calls. <laughs> so we're definitely going to talk about the Highline series at some point. So let's just get into wall panels. What do you think people need to know most about pack clad wall panels? Sure. Well, there's a lot to talk about. If you guys remember back to the lovely 2009-10 era when the economy really took that downturn. Oh, yeah. Ugh, yeah. <laughs> it's tough to forget, right? It is. We had a lot of our top contractors obviously doing those roofing projects. And it was during that period where they're looking and searching for new revenue opportunities. So they started looking, like we like to say, past the Eve line. They started looking at wall projects. And back then, that really kickstarted a lot of our drive into the wall panel business. We've been successful since then, launching multiple products over the last decade plus some really good diversification into different shapes, different shadow lines, different angles, you name it. The product line has truly evolved and become really a hallmark of our business, much like roofing has been over the last 60 years. Yeah. And you guys even have a wood grain product. There's a, I don't know, 14, 15, 16 different options within that line. We do. Technology with paints these days is pretty incredible. There's infinite possibilities when it comes to paints, wood grains, you name it. We are carrying about 16, what we've identified as some of the more popular wood grain colors. Again, this is just another way to give architects an alternative to actual wood products, lightweight, durable, longstanding product that can go up on the wall and give you that wood grain look. It's a Kynar, it's a 70% PVDF finish coating nice. that gives you a 30-year warranty on the finish. 
and you get that wood look that's timeless, quite honestly. Yeah, and when people are looking for it, that's part of your Precision Series line. Am I remembering that correctly? That is the Highline line. We're up to 20 plus different wall panel profiles, and the Highline series incorporates the majority of those. Right along with the Highline, we do have our exposed fastener series, your traditional screw down panels like your corrugated, half inch corrugated, seven eighths corrugated, 7.2 inch rib panels. These are your traditional screw down panels that have been around for a while. But with the new color options that are available, I like to say that these panels have become architecturally significant. You know, architects can go back to these old school profiles and really make it a hallmark of a structure. Wonderful. One of the things I like most about the hidden fastener products that you guys offer is it allows me to bring it into the interior projects where people are going to be up and close, very personal with the surface that I'm working with. It's one thing when I'm putting on a building and people are standing 20, 30 or more feet away, or they're looking up at what they're seeing. And it's much different when they're walking down a hallway, they can run their hands along these patterns. I think that's a, a terrific product. Oh, absolutely. You know, when you can get up close, especially with these colors, the wood grains in particular. That wood grain pattern also, I think is You mentioned a benefit to the architects, but I think it's a benefit to clients as well because of the maintenance issues that they can get rid of their lesson when they have a metal panel with that wood grain pattern. Yeah, you do. When you put something like this up, the lifespan of these products go into the decades. You don't have to worry about a lot that comes with maybe some of your more traditional wood-based products. Overall, it's a win-win for everybody. And importantly, these days anyway, it helps keep them in budget. And that's always something to consider. Hey, Mike, I appreciate you taking the time to talk with us today, as always. Love learning more what I can about pack clad products. Yeah, thank you for having me, guys. Thanks a lot. It's our pleasure. To inquire about perforated metal or Peterson's metal roof and wall cladding products, send an email to info at pac-clad.com or call 800-PAC-CLAD. I want to move on to... Let's see how I can articulate this. I have a question written down in my notes. It's like, do people even redline drawings anymore? This is a loaded question because I'm not sure if it's how I'm phrasing. Do they redline, meaning do they put out a piece of paper and they take red ink and they put it on? Or are they taking PDFs into Adobe Acrobat or Bluebeam and they're typing out their redlines using software? In my mind, using Adobe or Bluebeam, that's not redlines. That's just communicating using digital software and it happens to be red. I don't think it's the same thing at all. You know why? Because that goes back to the one-way communication. I kind of go, now, again, I already know I'm wrong. Because <laughs> I, haven't, I haven't clarified it. There's a level of collaboration that's really great about software like Bluebeam, because that's what we use in our office. And it's real-time back and forth. Like, I can have multiple sessions. I can have like, multiple people in the drawing at the same time. And we're all got, like, our own colors. Architecture comments might be in green. And interior design comments might be in red. And the QAQC guy might be in purple or whatever the case is. And it'll tell you who left what comment. I can even ask a question and go, hey, Mary, are you sure that we want to do this here? Should we consider this instead of that? And I can put that in there. It's like note taking is what it is. Because guess what you can't do using Bluebeam? Not well is draw or sketch in it. People are like typing. They're using rectangles. They're doing arrows. Mm -hmm. I go, that in my mind is not, that's just quality control is all that is. That's just making sure that this is spelled right. Did you get this drawing? Move this drawing over to this spot on the page. It's almost administrative redlining. It's not It's not design. Nobody's fixing details digitally in Bluebeam. And if you are, you know what? Power to you. Send me a shot of what that looks like. I don't know what it looks like. And I go, are you trying to draft with your mouse using the pen? <laughs> you know, like shake hand. Squiggly lines. You're trying to draw like, yeah, how does that even work? Oh, there you go. Oh, hold on the shift button. You get straight lines. <laughs> really? Uh, I'm a, really? Yeah. Now, maybe if I was using a tablet and I had a stylus yeah. and I'm like taken into Morfolio or Procreate or something where I can actually zoom everything in and I can get like a real, I go, God, nobody in my office is doing that. That's what I used to do. And I would do them digitally on my iPad because I would have a PDF. In some ways that got to be maybe more beneficial because I could zoom in and I could make tighter notes than on my 11 by 17s. Would you write those notes or did you click a thing and then you would type it in that instance? No, I would just write them. I mean, I'm just using my stylus and I'm just drawing. It's the same process as a traditional red line ink on paper. I'm just using a tablet and a stylus. So they would look exactly the same. 
Yeah. It would be a red drawing and I'm drawing over all of the PDFs. But that would be the digital way that I would do them. Because, yeah, I agree. I don't, there's a difference in making notations and stuff as opposed to drawing. Yeah, but what you're talking about is something different. That's not what I'm talking about. Because I go, really, you're doing the same thing. You're just doing it digitally. You're drawing on yes. a page with like a red pen. You just happen to be doing it digitally. Yeah. I'm talking about like using software for the purpose of, hey, taking this PDF and like I have a session and I've invited these 12 people into it and everybody can review it and they can leave their comments. That sort of redlining, that seems to be the norm now. The idea of sketching details out on a piece of paper that's part of a printed out, I go, I don't see a lot of that anymore. Hmm. And I'm not trying to like make my company look bad because we do a lot of sketching on trace paper. I do for every one sketch that the entire office of 80 people does, I do 10. Yeah, I was going to say, you do 40. Yeah, it's just how I how I work, how I think. And what happens is if I just take two people that are in my office, a guy named Luis and this young woman named Miranda, they sit in my area. They work on, I think I have them on almost all my jobs. Their desks are literally covered in my sketches. With your garbage. <laughs> yeah, and I sit down. And I roll it out and I say, this is what we're talking about. Because I go, trying to explain architecture by like wiggling your hands and holding them apart and like trying to say it's this big and that big and set that. I go, I'm just going to draw it because we all understand that language. And then when I leave, I rip it and I go, do you want this? And they all go, yes. Every single time. I'm willing to throw it in the trash. Yeah. Nobody says no. Yeah. It's not precious. I think that's the funny part. Yeah. Well, it's notes to them. It's not necessarily like. I didn't draw this like yeah. it's a detail. Like you're not just going to recreate this digitally. This is a record of our conversation done graphically. That's something I think that, because again, my students are always the same way. Like they want to describe things or talk about things and not really graphically do it, right? Or they want to talk about, well, point at a screen and say, if I move this and I move that and I do this and I do that. And I'm like, okay, but let's just draw it here. Let's, let's draw what we're talking about. And yes, they are not award-winning sketches by any means but they still communicate the ideas. Yeah. I wonder sometimes if that's part of what's getting lost is that visual communication skill or maybe not skill, but need or requirement. Because like me, I want to talk and draw. That's how I communicate. That's how I would prefer to communicate. Yeah. And that's not even just about architecture. There's a lot of stuff that I'll be like, oh, wait, hang on. Oh, you want to talk about this sandwich? Let me draw you how this sandwich gets built. You know, that kind of. Yeah. I literally, I thought this was a funny moment. This was probably six years ago. I'm in my office. Well, not like my office, not ivory tower. I'm in in this space. Everybody sits there. We all sat three inches from one another. And we're in a space built for two people, and we had like six people in it. Oh, yeah, yeah. I remember that space. It was tight. And we had like donut Fridays. And everyone would have like, it's your turn to bring in the donuts. It's not that big a deal because there weren't that many people. And so one of the guys, he always liked old-fashioned donuts, like, if you don't bring him an old-fashioned, like everybody had what they liked. We get blueberry for that guy. We get old-fashioned for that guy. We get strawberry glaze, like the Homer Simpson donut for that person. Like everyone kind of knows their jam, mm-hmm. right? And we would try to accommodate those people. One of the guys didn't know what an old-fashioned donut was. And so I was like, here. And I grabbed a piece of trace and a pen, and I was like, okay, this is how. He goes, we could just look it up on the internet. <laughs> you know, I was like, yeah, that probably would be way easier and the funny thing about it is a good friend of mine who was like the guy that i give credit for for way my drawings look the way they look because of this guy Mm -hmm. i want him to sketch more i've talked about him like half dozen times on the show and on the blog it's just the coolest guy ever and i want him to sketch more because the sketches are amazing but he's like a working guy now i went to architect school stuff went on with the family he went back home to help the family business and now he has a company and they hang sheetrock. He's a sheetrocker. That's what he does. And I love the guy, even though I haven't talked to him in 20 years. In one of these comments, he goes, all right, I'm going to try to sketch more. And he sketched donuts for me. <laughs> and that's what he posted. I'll have the picture. I'm going to find it. So he drew the old fashioned. I was like, that's way better than the old fashioned I would have drawn. Like he had planned section of all these different donuts yeah. and then like a cross section of the donuts. It was awesome. That's funny. I go, it's way more interesting than looking it up on the internet. That's for sure. But donut stories notwithstanding, I do think that the ability to sketch, and this is not a sketching episode, people say picture's worth a thousand words. And there's a reason why that happens. And it's because our brains are able to fill in the gaps between lines. So if I say a word, 
and I draw a thing and I put some lines on the page, your brain is going to understand that better than if I hear it because you're using two different parts of your brain. Your retention is going to be different. You see something that goes to one part of your brain. You hear something that goes to another part of your brain, even if it's the same thing. If I say the word rabbit, that goes to one part of your brain. If I show you a picture of a rabbit, that goes to a different part of your brain. If I show you a live rabbit, that goes to yet again <laughs> another spot in your brain. So when you try to marry all these things together, your retention, your depth of your knowledge is much more profound when you're crossing more cranial specters in your head. So our ability to talk and draw at the same time is a more effective way of communicating than just one or the other. Nobody should dispute that. There's endless documentation to support that. So we're losing it. This is something that I feel. Yeah. I go, you don't even have to be good. Just do it when you're talking to folks. So that goes back to the red lines. This is a great moment. It's a teaching moment, but it's also a learning moment for someone to say, look, is this what you're talking about? This is what I'm thinking. I think we're missing out on some stuff. But as a result of all of the sketching as a communication going to the wayside, I think that happens even in red lines. I could show you the red lines in my office. I'm not going to. I'm not going to post any pictures of them because that's not how we roll here. But there's no graphic data in the red line sets that I see in my own office anymore. Hmm. It just doesn't happen. We're doing a house in San Antonio, and I wanted to lay out the reflected ceiling plan. So I had Miranda. She could have sent me the PDF, and I could have done it in Bluebeam. Mm -hmm. But I was like, I don't want to do it in Bluebeam. I want to look at it holistically. So I printed it out, put it down. And in red pen, I'm like sketching line here, line in the center of that, center of that, put a circle here, circle here, uh, scratch that line out, do it again, da, 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 da. And that's what I gave her to work with. And she highlighted it out. And we had conversations about what wall washers are and how far from the wall would they typically be placed. And here's the logic behind if I'm laying out a bathroom, when do I use wall sconces? When do I use a downlight? How do I line the fart fan up with like shower fixtures, you know, and all these kind of things that you try to go, this is the logic through this mm -hmm. graphically. And I will include that sketch graphically. That was a very easy thing. And we sat down and we went through it. She looked at it and maybe 30 minutes after I gave it to her, it was done. Yeah. And she wasn't a drafting service. That was not the point of why I did it. It was a, here's a design conversation. And then once she got it, I go extrapolate this out because it was also switching. And it was, how do you graphically show switches? How do you graphically show one switching line jumping over another? so that they don't confuse which direction yeah. the switch leg is taking. Yeah. One point she had a switch and she had a two by it. And I was like, that's not how that works. A switch and a light fixture, that's a two. If you don't have the light, there's no switch, right? So you don't ever put twos. There's not ones and twos. Mm -hmm. So you got threes, a switch, a fixture, and a switch. That's a three. So we go through this whole kind of process and it's all marked up. And I was like, all right, you can run with this now and you can finish the rest of this. I don't have to do it all. Because I redlined half of it and we logicked our way through it. Done. Yeah. Easy. Right? And hopefully I won't have to do it again. Like next time down the road. Yeah. Next time I can say, I want you to take what you learn. I want you to extrapolate it out. And then we'll review it from a design standpoint, not from a, did you articulate it correctly in the software? Yeah. Like you use the wrong symbol. <laughs> it won't be that conversation. It's like, we don't want to do wall washers on this because our ceiling is sloped. And so when they hit the wall, my scallops are going to have different jump off points. Mm -hmm. vertically from the floor, right? I don't want to do it that way. So let me ask you this, and this goes all the way back to the beginning. I had a note in here, and I don't know if I want to talk about it or not. Maybe we've already touched on it a little bit, and we'll just cut this bit out. But I wrote down red lines perceived as hazing. <laughs> and that was one of the comments that I'd gotten from that original story when I said, wow, terrible. Yeah. It was the idea that I was being mean to somebody and I wasn't being helpful. And I thought, is there a perception? I guess you can have a tone to the way that you mark things up. Obviously, if you write, wow, da, da, terrible, da, terrible, yeah. definitely there's a tone to that, but they didn't understand the context. So they took the tone in the bad way when it wasn't really meant the way they thought it was. But the quickness at which people jump to that clearly tells me that people have hot negative opinions. <laughs> sometimes or frequently based on the comments about how red lines are created and delivered in the message in which they convey. I would really say, I think it's more about the delivery. I don't know that it's necessarily the red line process, but the delivery of those in my research today, while I was poking around, because I was really trying to find the history of red lines, if it was at all possible and I couldn't. <laughs> I did the same thing and I was like, I can't find it. Why was it? I know. It's a miracle. Yeah. 
But the idea that I think the negativity comes from the delivery of them, and like we'd mentioned earlier, the way that you and I both don't think it should be done, but apparently it gets done that way a lot. It's like, here's a giant pile of drawings with a whole bunch of red marks on it, and it gets dumped on your desk, and somebody walks off, and they just expect you to do it. There's no interaction. It's a one-sided downhill delivery. It's like, here's all the stuff you messed up, and I'm not going to tell you anything other than look at all these red marks, and it's all screwed up. Yeah. And I think that's where the negativity comes from. And again, I never approached it that way in my office, but I can see, at least when I was poking around today, that that seems to be the perception, or maybe that happens more than I would like for it to happen for sure. In those instances, do you think there's a disproportionate, I'm not even sure how to ask this question, do you think that person A generated drawings, person B redlines those drawings, and then they get given to person C to pick them up? Or do they always go back to the person who originated them? I don't know. In my mind, it's always back to the person that originated them, which is why they feel like it's such a negative slash personal attack on them. Because it's like getting an F in school or something where everything's all marked up on your history paper. Yeah. But instead of getting a grade, you just have to do it over again and again and again until it's correct. I don't really know. Well, in my office, I know that we have an all hands on deck kind of mentality in certain departments, like our interiors department, they're very collaborative. They put three interior designers on every project, even if they only need one. There's a redundancy that they want, and they have roles that they sign because they want to make sure that things are covered. So within that redundancy, if somebody redlines, and it could be I redline something that they want to pick up, like there's certain kind of, does architecture pick this up or does interior design group pick it up? Who picks this up? Mm -hmm. So sometimes they're directed at certain groups. I don't think, I won't give a percentage to it, but I would say that as many times as not, the person who's picking up the red line comments is not necessarily the person that created the drawing in the first place, hmm. right? Which honestly never dawned on me until I got here. Yeah. And that's probably more a reflection that I work in a small office. So of course. Could be true. Why would I do a project with this guy and then ask someone who's not even on my job to pick up the red lines? Yeah. Why would that happen? It wouldn't, of course. But that's kind of the dynamic of a larger firm. I'd be curious if the people who are listening to this, if they're in a large firm, if that's something they go, yeah, that happens all the time. We have five people working on the job, and we're going to say, you, pick up all the red lines, even though you might not be the person who actually generated that content in the first place. Yeah, I mean, I guess I could see that happening, maybe. I don't think it's beneficial for it to happen that way, but I guess I could see it happening that way. Well, that might be part of what contributes it to... One version of hazing might be perceived as, it's personal. I'm being attacked because I did something and you think I did it wrong or it's subjective because a lot of what we do is subjective. It's not all, hey, you put the vapor barrier on the wrong side of the wall. Yeah. It's not always that kind of stuff. It's a slide that over, like a line that up. Mm -hmm. They might be listening to it like when you say center this, they're looking at this visually. They're like, duh, center this. Yeah. Maybe they're reading tone into it, but that's because they generate it. But then I go, what if you're the person that didn't generate it and you just get all these red lines dumped on you? <laughs> And you're like, oh, yeah. why do I got to pick up all the red lines? Like That's true. You know? I have a feeling that might be the newest person in the office that always gets those things. I'm very curious. I'd love to hear someone who has had like a career in a larger firm to be able to say, you know what? This is how we did it. It wasn't always the person that generated the drawing that picked up red lines because it's a team project. We got team members working on it and it's whoever can do it. They picked it up. They just fixed yeah. it. I mean, I will say that it's sometimes when we had larger projects getting near the end and deadlines on that, that it might be that two or three people and me had been working on the project, but then the deadline's coming up and we got to get it all done. Well, then the red lines I generated got spread amongst the 10 people in the office instead of just the three or four that were working on it. Right. And that happens. I think I could see that. But again, at least I hope that I never created an environment of negativity around red lines in my office. I don't know. They all sent me emails saying how toxic is, is it? the red lines in your <laughs> office were. Yeah. I'm sure. You know, I was thinking when I was doing some research on this, I stumbled across, and he's going to hear his name. He's going to say, hey, they said my name. Like he listens. I'm kidding. So Lee Callisti. Oh, uh-huh. You know, and it's funny. I've been engaged with this guy for 10 years. I've never actually said his name out loud, I don't think, until this very moment. <laughs> Lee, obviously, I know how to say Lee, but yeah. I don't know that I'm saying his last name right. Anyway, he comments from time to time on the blog, and he's engaged, and he's a sole practitioner, and he wrote an article, I don't know, it was more than a couple years ago, about red lines, 
And part of what I loved about it, he's an office of one. So he's creating red lines for himself. For himself. Yeah. yeah you know, yeah. which cracks me up to a certain extent. But they're notes for himself. Like, I'm sure that there's problems. He's like, hey, I need to solve this problem. Here's how I'm going to think about it. I'll draw it tomorrow. But here's my thought process. I thought, so clearly, red lines have more to do with just person one documenting a thought and person two picking up and clarifying that thought in the system. Because these are notes for himself. <laughs> yeah. I always thought that was interesting. You know, and I think as a practice, I think you always want to redline your own work before you hand it to somebody else. I mean, I would make my employees redline their own stuff before they would give it to me. And a lot of times I would get a set of drawings that they had redlined and then I would put red lines on top of it. Sometimes that would be, they did it in blue and then I'm doing it red. Like my stuff was always red, but there for a while in my office of the eight employees or whatever, everybody had their own specific color. With eight people, so somebody like purple yep, and there somebody was purple, there was like pink, there was lime. Oh, yeah. There were some wild colors, but they would highlight the red line that they picked up in that color. So they'd have a highlighter and then have ink pen that were always matching. And so that's how it was easier for me to separate those things out. But also when we started mixing things up, so a one employee could go ask somebody else about what they do here or why they did it. or It was just a way to kind of help separate but still keep a clear path of communication going. I'm kind of curious that made me think about it. And I know that we had this issue a while ago and it has to do with people doing their quote unquote red lines just by looking at the screen. Mm -hmm. Stuff's not printed out. It's not even like a PDF. So it's still like got all the colors. Like, of course, Revit nowadays, nothing's in color. Yeah. But, you know, in the old CAD days, AutoCAD yeah, days, there was all kinds of colors, all kinds of colors all over the place. And people are like zooming around the screen, scrolling in, scrolling out, paying over here, like to check their work on the screen. And I used to go, you got to print yep. it out. You got to look at yeah. it. You got to get it on a page. You got to put it on the table. You got to look at it that way. Because that goes back to the, there's a separation that allows you to bring a little different level of clarity to it when you review it, when it's in a printed out format. Okay. So I'm going to say that's the end of our red line show. <laughs> We've been at it for a while. Yeah. We could keep going. We hit a couple of rabbit holes, but. We did hit some rabbit holes. And I got some other ones. I got more stories, but they're just going to be saying the same point, just maybe in a more amusing way or less amusing way as a, you know, it's a possibility too. So. Yeah. Well, I think maybe if we decide to come back again, we could talk about the process of doing it. We didn't get into that very much, but maybe for a future time. Yeah. We'll keep it in mind. Unless everybody hates the show. Just let us know either way. <laughs> exactly. So let's get into how we close out every show, which is the would you rather question. And I chose a really, really simple one for today, but it's galvanizing. People are going to be divided on this one, <laughs> right? Maybe, yeah. And they're going, to, they're going to think it's clearly one or the other. Pretty confident about this. So here you go. You ready? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I told you what it was. Yeah, and I agree with you. It's going to be pretty galvanizing, but. I'm going to guess your answer. I mean, you're going to tell me, and then I'll say, yes, I guess that, or I say, oh, that surprised me. Well, yeah. Mine's obvious. Yeah. If you know me at all, it's obvious. Yes. So here it is. Would you rather have a dog or a cat? Boom. Go. Yeah. Not a hard question. It's a cat. Yeah. Of course it's a cat because <laughs> cause Tinkerbell shows up in our recording all the time. Yeah, Tinkerbell. Yeah. For me, it's a simple level of responsibility question, really, more than anything. You want as little responsibility as possible. <laughs> yeah. Cats kind of take care of themselves. Dogs don't. Dogs need attention. There's this comedian guy that I follow, and he's hysterically talks about the different energies between a dog and a cat. And like dogs have a really high level of energy of like, hey, hey, how are you doing? What's up? Hey, hey, there's a tree. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. And he's like, right. I don't need that kind of energy in my house. As soon as I walk in the door, that's not what I want. Yeah, that's true. Cats are like, hey, how are you doing? No, nah, never mind. I don't care. Yeah. I don't want the answer. Yeah. I don't even care. Yeah. Maybe it's because in my personality, I'm a bit cat-like. I'm not a high energy kind of in-your-face extrovert person. I think maybe that could be part of it, too, is extroverted people like dogs, introverted people like cats, but... It's not because you have a belly that swings left or right when you run down a hallway? Uh, what? <laughs> that was over my head completely, but all right. We have cats and we have dogs, and one of the I cats know. we have, when it gets its food, it goes running in a hallway, and it's like its speed is dictated by how fast its belly swings from left to right as it's running down the hallway. <laughs> so that's why I was saying, you're like, I have cat-like oh, gotcha. qualities. I was like, is that why? Oh, my cats don't do that. My cats don't have those qualities. They don't? No. Uh, 
at one point, I did have cats and dogs simultaneously as well. Wait, right, hold on. Is your cat just indoors or indoor outdoor? Just indoors. So yeah. you got litter box issues to deal with. Yeah, that's the bad part of cats. But I don't deal with them because I make my daughter clean them up. That's part of her chores. <laughs> is she good at it? Or like if somebody walked in your house, they're like, mm, how many cats do you have? It just depends. She's not as good as she should be, but she's not bad. Okay, so your answer is cats. Yeah, for sure. And I will tell you, I'm struggling to pick one, to be honest with you. Because hmm. we had two cats and we had two dogs. Mm-hmm. The two cats were from the same litter. And the two dogs are both Australian Shepherds, but one's miniature and one's full-blown. Mm-hmm. So of the cats we had, one was like the nicest, chillest, coolest cat ever. Anybody could pet it. It was soft. It would come sit on your lap and it would, oh, I love you. Mm-hmm. I don't know you, but I love you. The other cat was, you might not see it. It hates you. It doesn't want anything to do with you. <laughs> right? It just like, feed me. Yeah. And if I want to sit by you, it's not an invitation for you to touch me. <laughs> that is how that yeah. cat acts. But that cat's okay with my daughter. Like it likes sleeping literally on my daughter's head every night. Yeah. Like it wants to be in her room all the time. But when my daughter's not around, you know, if I'm sitting in the front row on the couch, that cat might come crawl in my lap. Don't touch me. But I'm going to sit here. Like if I pet its head. I'll tolerate this for a little while, but then, no, I'm out. I'm done. No, I'm out. I'm gone. No, you touched me too much. Your gentle caressing, hate it. (laughs) So, the the really cool cat peed everywhere. We tore the carpet out, ground down Mm. the concrete in my front room because that little jerk systematically peed. When we pulled up the carpet, because we're like, we had it professionally clean, and we're like, I can't stand the smell. Yeah, Yeah. Cannot stand it. So, I pulled up the carpet, wrote a post about it, actually. Not about the cat peeing, but about me pulling up the carpet. Pulling up the carpets, yeah. Literally, you could see the stain. That cat went around the entire... Like, he smelled and go, I ain't hit this spot yet. Bam, I'm hitting yep. this spot. All of it. Oh, two inches now again. Yep. Yeah. It was the worst. And my wife's like, we gotta get rid of these cats. And I was like, good luck. We gave them to Kate for her birthday. She didn't want to get rid of the cat. Yeah. But then here's the other problem I have. I got two dogs, and they're both really smart. Like, they're conversationally smart. And I am clearly the alpha in my house. And I don't mean that because I'm the biggest swinging guy going through the house. It's just I pay more attention to them. I feed them probably at least half to maybe slightly more than half. Even though the last couple of months I've worked so much, I feed them every day in the morning and maybe once or twice in the evenings. I used to feed them all the time. Mm-hmm. It's too much. The full grown one will not leave me alone. <laughs> I like a little of it, but. Yeah. I can't walk through my house without the dog trying to like go through my legs and like grabbing toys. And it does this growling thing. I keep thinking it does it every time. I should just record it one of these times. I will walk into the house and it's all like, oh, you're home. You're, oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. I thought you died. Oh my God. It's, it's so much. Mm-hmm. Drives me a little crazy. And I'm like, get out of my way. I'll pay you later. Just give me a minute. Mm-hmm. It will go get this giant tennis ball we have, which is like destroyed. It's punctured. It'll take it and it'll run right out to me and growl at me like, you touch this tennis ball, I'm going to kill you. But it's, it wants to play. It wants me to. But it wants you to touch it. Oh, yeah. Yes. It wants to do it. And if I sit down on the couch, it'll come up and just like lay its chin on my leg. Like, please give me some loving. Please. Yep. Or if I go, I'll pet you. And it'll get closer. And it'll just. And I'm like, oh, yep. my God, your breath. I don't need that much. I'm eating your breath. Yeah. It's like a transfusion of your breath into my mouth. It's too much. <laughs> Yeah. Right? I'm sucking in all the carbon dioxide you're spitting out. Yes. And it's hot and it's smelly. And if I complain about it at all, which I complain about it every day, my wife will go, oh, it's so miserable to be loved so much. I'm like, that doesn't help. That's not helping. (laughs) Yeah. And I didn't even want the dog. Here's the other thing. We got the first dog from my daughter. It was also kind of her dog. And we decided, well, that's a long story I'm not going to get into. So my wife and daughter decided to get this full-blown Australian Shepherd. Mm-hmm. I didn't really have much say in the matter. Like, it was going to happen. I was like, oh, whatever. So they got it, and I play with that dog, and I pet that dog more than anybody else. I take care of it, and my daughter sent me this message. She goes, there is no greater bond than between a dad and a dog he didn't want. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? exactly. That's how she looks at it. So if I had to answer, would you rather have a dog or a cat? If it was just the cool, silky, peeing cat, if that cat didn't pee, I would take that cat every day. That cat was awesome. 
Love to everybody. Yeah. Because here's the other thing. Those Australian shepherds didn't know this about Australian shepherds. They don't like other people. They're herd animals. And when you come in and they don't know you, they're like, who are you? You're not part of the herd. I'm not so sure that if my dog was loose and you walked in my house, that it wouldn't come for you. Like, so we have to put them up when we have people over. But I feel special then because they usually don't bother me too much. Yeah. It's been so long. I don't even, now that definitely wouldn't happen. Yeah, that's that true. That dog yeah. would take care of your, your stuff. <laughs> it's a source of stress for me, actually, when we have people over because they're kennel trained mm-hmm. for just this very reason. Little one's too little just to put in the yard and leave her all day. A bird will come down and grab her and fly off. <laughs> like, she's small. Just stolen by an eagle. <laughs> yeah. The big one, I don't want to run around the backyard. When it's hot, Texas, there's 112 heat index here. So I don't want it just running around in the backyard, getting hot. That's not cool. It should jump in the pool. No, they don't want to get wet. No. They're like, they don't love it. Hmm. They do not love getting wet. They're not those kind of dogs. Interesting. So we have them kennel trained. And they're so smart. I can just say, go get in your kennels. And they'll go walk and get in the kennel. It's not like it's a big, I'm pushing them in Mm -hmm. kennels. They don't hate it. It's like their safe space. But I feel it's a sense of stress that if, Somebody comes over and they're growling. It's not the growl like with the tennis ball at me, where it's just kind of going, this is like, they might bite you. Mm -hmm. And then you're going to sue me and I'm going to have to put my dog down. It's Mm -hmm. that kind of thing. So if I don't know you, don't come in my house without letting me know. (laughs) I have guard dogs. Yeah. So I would say cool cat, I would take a cat. But I can tell you that jerk of an Australian shepherd, I do like her. Yeah. I feel like if I could get a dog that had a little bit of a cat personality, like a little more towards a cat, but a little more laid back, it'd be okay. Because there is a level of companionship and interaction that you really don't get with a cat. It doesn't even really matter how cool or nice the cat is still at some point. Right. They don't care that you're alive. They're like, meh, whatever. Yeah. I could live without you. But it's just, most dogs are too high strung and too needy. They need to step down, a step in between. I don't know if there's such a thing as, maybe I should Google What's the least neediest dog? And that should be the kind I could get. You know, I wonder, because my little Australian Shepherd, she's very cat-like in that regard. Oh, yeah? She likes being pet, for sure, but she'll jump up on the couch. The big dog's not allowed on the couch. The little one can jump on the couch. She'll just come, sit down next to you. She's fine. Yeah. She'll leave you alone. She's happy to sit there. She doesn't bark. She's not, like, obnoxious in those kind of ways. She's pretty chill. If you want to pet her, pet her. If you don't want to pet her, don't pet her. She doesn't care. Hmm. But she's not like, ugh. Like some cats are, like, I'm not coming out here if you're out here kind of thing. Yeah. But I will tell you, the thing that makes me go, I might not want a dog. Every dog I've ever had will not do its business outside of my yard. So when I take my dogs out on walks or whatever, they don't use other people's yards. Really? And I don't know if that's just because I'm putting out a vibe and they're picking it up. Because I tell you right now, I do not want to put my hand in a plastic bag and grab a warm pile of that dog's business. I couldn't do that. Mm. So luckily, I don't have to do it. Yeah, and that's funny because I feel like the dogs that I had, they loved it. Dude, as soon as we go out, that's the first thing they're doing. <laughs> they're no. like, yeah, stranger's property. Let's do the business. Yeah, and then you got to like pick it up I in know. a bag yeah. and oh. And then carry it around for the rest of the walk. Blah. That right there, there's no yeah. way. There's no, I don't know how people do it. I honestly don't know how people do it. So again, scooping a cat box isn't great, but it's. I don't know. It's not the same. If you really wanted to, you could just dump the whole thing out every time. Not even scoop it. Just yeah, dump it in a garbage bag and put it out. You know. Yeah. But like Kate does that, or my wife does it. I don't clean cat box. Yeah. I mean, I have. I cleaned it for a long time when my wife was pregnant. Obviously, she couldn't do it, so I cleaned it for like years. And I was like, when did this become my full time responsibility? I'm not doing this anymore. Yeah. Like it was like a put my foot down kind of moment, which I don't get many of those at my house. I was like, I'm done with this. Yeah. And every now and then I'll do it because I go, well, I should help out occasionally. You know, I'll solve this. I got a kid. Kate, you should take care of this. That is the one thing I miss about indoor-outdoor cats is litter bucks was way less when they were indoor-outdoor because they would just as soon go outside. But now that I have indoor cats, it's much more of a pain. All right. So your cats, I'm going to say dogs. Oh, now you're going to dogs? I mean, I don't like cats. I like cats. They're easy. <laughs> but you know what? The dog gets on my nerves, but I pay a lot of attention to that dog. And that dog makes me happy. Mm. In a way that cats don't. <laughs> I would say I hear you complain more about the dogs than you ever do about the cats. Yeah, because I got nothing with the cat gives me nothing. <laughs> right? It's like, whatever. It's a user. It feels like it's ending on a down note. Like, <laughs> I chose dog and I kind of regret it. <laughs> I know. This does sound like weird. Yeah. Not an uplifting or a comical end to this whole thing. 
yeah. Weird for a would you rather question to end up this way. But I will say this. Yeah. Those dogs, you feel the love. And I feel the love in a way that like cats, cat loves. Oh, I love yeah. the leg of this chair as much as I love the leg of my person. Yeah, this is true. But dogs, man, you would think that everything lives and dies when I walk in the room. When things are great, you're like, you know what? This is nice. I like this. But then every now and then you're like, I just, not right now. Not right now. Yeah. So, but yay, dogs. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So there you go. Another episode in the books. I hope you enjoyed the more serious part of today's discussion. Well, I hope you enjoyed both of it. All of it, actually. And let me know if you're a dog or a cat person. But thank you for being with us today for episode 78, Red Lines. Special thanks to today's sponsor, Peterson, maker of pack clad architectural metal cladding. And in addition, special shout out to our media partners, Building Design and Construction, for their ongoing support of the Life of an Architect podcast. If you like today's episode, please take the next 15 seconds and head over to your favorite podcast listening app and hit that subscribe or follow button so you can get hot and steamy new episodes automatically downloaded every two weeks. While you're there, please consider leaving us a comment, and I would greatly appreciate it if you would leave us a five-star Teach It, Don't Preach It rating. Yeah, leave us some ratings and comments. We need some of those. We need some new ones. Only if they're positive, though. <laughs> this is true. Only if they're five stars. That's right. Be sure to visit the original lifeofanarchitect.com for show notes, links, info, and photos from this spectacular episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. Take it easy, everybody. Cheers.